So let me, if we can, start off with uh, some background on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this book, uh, what we call the Gospel of Matthew, was written by a man named Matthew. And Matthew uh, was a tax collector among the most hated people in first century Palestine. Then he meets Jesus, and he believes in Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus, becomes one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And what we have, this gospel, is one of four gospels that we have in the New Testament that tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus while he was here among us. Uh, a lot of people think this gospel was the second one written after Mark, uh, maybe somewhere between 60 and 75 AD, if you want to put a time period to it. Uh, one of the main aims for Matthew is to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of things God promised, things God, that were prophesied back in the Old Testament. And so that's why we have Matthew chapter 1. If you look down at Matthew 1, you'll see all these different names, what's called a genealogy. And a genealogy is basically a family tree. Uh, those were really important back then, your family tree, your ancestry. It's like your personal resume. Think of like the genealogy, the family tree as, as, as saying something about who you are, what's important about you, what matters about who you are. And so what we have with Matthew in showing the family tree, the genealogy of Jesus is saying, here's the things I want you to notice about Jesus. Here's what's important about him. Here's what matters about Jesus. And the most important thing Jesus, uh, Matthew wants to show about Jesus is that his genealogy sets him up to be the Messiah. So notice just how it starts. This is Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ is a Greek word meaning Messiah. So you can say the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, and look down at verse 16. So I, then it starts, it goes on from there, right? So then Abraham, the son of Isaac. Uh, and Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah. And on and on and on. All the, this person, the father of this person. This person, the father of this one. And notice then how it ends. Verse 17, or verse 18. Jesus was born who was called the Christ. So it begins by saying, this is the family tree of someone I believe is the Messiah. And it ends by saying, hey, just so you know, this guy who I just listed all this background about, his family tree, his genealogy, I believe he's the Messiah, the Christ. Messiah means anointed one. And the reason that's important is that all those promises and prophecies that God talked about in the Old Testament, God said, that's going to come through someone I send, through a Messiah, an anointed one. And so what Jesus, or Matthew is saying is, Jesus is that guy. He's that promised one. He's that Messiah. And here's his resume for it. Now, there's other things that Jesus has got to do to show that he's actually the Messiah, the things that he's going to fulfill and, and, and accomplish, and that the rest of the book shows that. But from the jump, we, he wants to say he's got the resume for it. He's got the family background for it. And that happens from that, just that first verse by saying, he's basically saying this genealogy is going to show how he's the son or descendant of Abraham and how he's also descendant of David. It's important that he's a descendant of Abraham because it shows he's an authentic Jew, right? The promises, the prophecies came through the Jewish people who are descended from Abraham. Jesus is descended from Abraham. He's an authentic Jew. He's also a descendant of David. God had said the Messiah, this promised one, is going to accomplish all these things that God has promised. Uh, he's anointed one who's going to accomplish what God has said he's going to do. He's going to come through the line of King David. And so here's this family tree that shows that Jesus is descended from King David. And then really at the end, too, God, Matthew just puts together this genealogy to say, I just want you to see that God, this is a special time prepared by God all along, specially set, set together to make this happen, right? He's crafted the genealogy specially to, 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 to show this. So the last verse uh, in our passage this morning, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. 
And from David to the deportation to Babylon, fortune generations. From the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fortune generations. So three groups of 14 names. Really, it's six groups of seven names. Seven is an important number in the Bible. Seven is the number of completion, right? The seven days of creation. God completes everything. God rests and everything is good. And I think Matthew is intentionally designed genealogy. People would do that to make a point. He's intentionally set up the genealogy to have these sort of multiples of seven to say, the time has come. The time of preparation is complete for finally the Messiah to come, the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus. And he's that guy. He's going to accomplish all these things that we want to have accomplished. So all good. We have a genealogy. Shows the family background of Jesus, how he shows he can be this Messiah. But here's where the shift happens. is when we then actually go through the genealogy and certain parts of the genealogy that we see that this Messiah that Jesus is, he's going to accomplish things. He's going to fulfill what God says he's going to fulfill in a way that's different than a lot of people have expected. You see, people are looking for a Messiah, looking for a Messiah to come. The Jewish people are looking for someone who's going to promise from God, and he's going to come, and what they expect the Messiah to do, the way those promises are going to be fulfilled, the way the prophecies are going to happen, this Messiah is going to come, and he's going to conquer. He's going to bring glory and honor to Israel. He's, he's going to make Israel great again, if I could put it that way, right? And, and yet, you know, I want you to say... Whether you say that out loud or not, I think we should all resonate with that. We all want to be great. We all want to be great again. Whether they say it out loud or not, I want to argue every single one of us want that. We want the same things that they wanted back then. When I say we want to be great or great again, what I'm saying is we want our lives to have meaning and purpose. And to have meaning and purpose such that we win. You want your life to win. <laughs> Always be on the path of winning. Every single person I've met wants some element of that, some version of that. And we look to different messiahs, if I'm going to use that word, messiahs to, whether it's something or someone, to help us feel great, to help us win, to help bring the meaning and purpose that helps us win. Again, it's different for each person. I don't know what it is for you, but I mean, for you, it might, for some of you, it might be, if I can get, just get that job, that will make me feel great or make me feel great again because I, didn't have, I don't have a job now. If I can get that job, I'll feel great. I'll win. If I can just get that girl, if I can just get that guy, if I can just get into that school from the East Coast, that was huge where I grew up, get into the right school. <laughs> that's what's all about. That's all that mattered. Get in the right school, then your life is winning. It's on the path of winning. Uh, maybe it's if I can get out of that marriage, <laughs> that's all I want. <laughs> then my life will finally win. If I can get out of that family, then I can win. If these things that are in my life, I can finally ignore them and dismiss them and get over them. And these other things can happen and they can happen right now. Then I'll feel great. I'll matter. I'll have purpose. Then I will win. And what we're looking for is something, someone, a Messiah, whatever it is, that can come along and help make that happen. The situations that can happen to make those things occur to help us feel the way we want to feel about ourselves. We're winning. We're doing okay. And again, it might, for some of you, it's a huge thing, right? You want to start some big business? For some of you, it's just a small thing. Just my personal life can be good. And so who we have Jesus, a Messiah, and a Messiah is someone who's supposed to help make that happen. That's what the Jewish people are looking for. For them as a nation, for each of them individually, he's going to help us win. He's going to help us win by conquering, right, by accomplishing. And so Jesus, by claiming that, that term, he's saying, I'm going to come and do it. I'm going to save. I'm going to bless. I'm going to make you win. He's claiming that title on the Messiah 
But this genealogy is showing, I'm going to make it happen in a way that you don't expect, in a way that's different than you think it has to happen. Jesus is the Messiah who comes along to help us, not by helping us win everything. In other words, by helping us actually have all that we want. He's the Messiah who comes by actually first meeting us right where we're at. He's the Messiah who doesn't say the way for you to win is for you to get all you want and avoid what you don't want. He's the Messiah who meets us where we're at and, number one, says, I'm willing to meet you where you're at in the bad and in the messy parts of your life. And, number two, I'm willing to meet you even in the parts of your life, even in those lives here that feel ordinary, ignored, dismissed. I'm going to meet you right there and not avoid those things, not dismiss those things, admit all those things, accept all those things, and you can still win. You can still matter and have purpose. Not by ignoring it, overlooking it, but by admitting it up front. He's that Messiah. In a way very different than we expect can happen. So how is he going to be with it? How is that even possible? That's what we're looking at this morning. When we look at that first point, I'm going to spend most of our time in this first one. He's the Messiah who is there for us, a Messiah who's there for us, and whatever is bad, messy, awkward, or just plain sinful about your life. He can be the Messiah who helps you have meaning and purpose, helps you win, even in the bad, messy, awkward, or just plain sinful that's going on for you. Remember I said the genealogy shows what matters about you? And so back then, I mean, just like your resume, I mean, we all do this. Craft your resume to look pretty good. You leave off, like, you know, the parts of your resume that aren't so good, right, where you got let go, and you put the other parts of your resume that, like, show you to be great, right, where you can get the references from. They did that back then, right, with their genealogy. You highlight the parts of your genealogy that are good. You downplay or, or sort of leave out the parts that aren't so good. So you leave out the crazy uncles, right? You leave out the cheating cousins, right? You leave out the, the, the drunk uh, whoever, right? Those parts, you, you leave them out. You elevate the parts that that are significant, that matter, that make you look good. Um, king Herod, who was king during this time when Jesus was born, he did that with his genealogy. So if you look at his, when he lists, like, here's my family background, he leaves out the parts that don't make him look so good, and then he adds in people who he's actually not related to, but he puts them in there, right? Because he wants, he wants to look good, right? He, he's a king. He's got to look good. So when you look at someone's genealogy, you expect that to happen. Here's the best parts of you, right? Because it makes you matter, right? Helps you see I'm a winner. I come from winners. When we have a genealogy of Jesus, his family tree is basically the opposite. This lists things that are bad, that are messy, that are awkward, that are just plain sinful. You normally hide those things. And yet this genealogy goes out of its way to say, look at this, right? Let's remember this. This is part of Jesus' background. So look at verse 3. It mentions... um, Verse 3, uh, Jacob, well, when you go back, back up, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and then Judah, verse 3, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. In this sort of family tree, he could have just said, Judah, who's the father of Perez, and then go on from there, because that's the line of descent for Jesus. But instead, this genealogy mentions Zamar and the mother Tamar. It didn't have to do that. In fact, you normally wouldn't do that. By bringing it up, it's inviting us to remember the story here, a messy ugly, very sinful incident where Judah doesn't do right by his daughter-in-law, Tamar. He's supposed to provide another son for Tamar to marry. Uh, Long story about why that was the case. He doesn't do that. And so Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute, sleeps with him, and they have children from that. It's incest, right? It's, It's against the Mosaic law. 
It's an ugly, messy, like sticky incident. Not great. <laughs> Not great for anyone involved. And yet here it is. This genealogy is basically saying, like, I want, we're admitting this happened. We're going out of a way for you to know this is part of the family tree. It's part of the background of the Messiah. Look at verse 6. It says, Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, to say that Jesus is descended from King David, that's great, right? Makes sense to highlight that. But then, this family tree highlights the worst part of David's life, right? The worst incident, right? It should have said David who killed Goliath. No, it says David who uh, took advantage of the wife of another woman, of the wife of another man, slept with that wife, they got pregnant, then arranges to have the husband of that wife killed, and then does a big cover-up of it. That, that David, that incident, right? And that incident where he has, uh, when he sleeps with this woman, this wife, has her husband killed, that has ripple effects that affect negatively, not just his family, but the whole nation. Right? Here's like a really dark spot in his own personal life and in the life of the nation. Again, like, he needs to, Matthew needs to show that Jesus is from the line of David. So all he's got to do is say he's from the line of David. He's from David. But instead, he mentions this incident. Out of all the things he could have mentioned about David, this is highlighted. So what's going on here? What, why is this here? Well, again, we put genealogies here. We, we, we write genealogies to highlight certain things, to say something about the person. And so what's this saying about Jesus? It's saying the bad, uh, the messy, the awkward, the just plain sinful parts of your life. The things that we would normally ignore, dismiss, or make excuses for, Jesus is not afraid of it. Jesus owns up to it. In fact, he says, it's here, it's part of my family history, and I'm willing to share it with you all because it's part of me, and yet it got redeemed. It got used by God to lead to the birth of the Messiah, to lead to Jesus. And in saying this, I'm not saying that these, these incidents aren't truly like what they are. They are truly bad, truly messy, truly awkward, truly sinful, right? To, to say these things isn't to say, well, we should just make excuses for them, right? Or they're not a big deal, right? What I'm saying here is these things that we would normally run away from, I would argue in this genealogy of Jesus, he's saying, I'm a Messiah. He says, you don't need to run away from that. You can face them straight on. It's in my family history, and so you can own up to it in your own life, in your own history. You can own up to it, and you can own up to it in a way, in a way that doesn't crush you. For me to say that says, like, I, I can't do that, Ramon. I'm going to feel, like, icky, and other people are going to know about it. I'm going to feel ashamed. How do you own up to what's bad and messy and just plain sinful about your life without it crushing you? How do you own up to it and admit it and still come away saying, I've got meaning and purpose. I still win even with all the ugly and messy and plain simple. How is that possible? Here's the answer. It's when you add the words, but the grace of God. You add those words to whatever part of your life, and it changes everything. It changes everything. That's what happened in the family tree of Jesus. All these things, I just listed some of them. I, I, there's a lot of others I could list in this family tree. Other stories that come to mind when you go through all these different names. But in each, each of those stories, we add the words, but the grace of God. And the grace of God brings forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. It brings healing where healing is needed. It brings redemption where redemption is needed. So the result is meaning and purpose. The meaning and purpose to bring the Messiah is that they win. So that all win. Jesus then does the same thing for us, doesn't he? What 
is true for the family tree of Jesus, is true for all of us. Jesus helps us win by adding those words, but the grace of God, especially in the parts of your life that are bad, that are messy, that are ugly, that are just plain sinful. I mean, just imagine this. Imagine, imagine if you could finally be completely honest with yourself. Some of you, you you're not honest with yourself. You're not honest about your life, about what's going on. You are not honest. And you know it. And you're telling lies about yourself to yourself. Imagine if you could be honest about yourself, about all your life and all that's in there. Imagine if you could be honest about all your life and all that's in there to the people around you, to our community. You have a very, and I get it, I do this too. <laughs> You've adapted your life in ways that, that fit well enough with the people around you. Imagine if you could lay it all out there. You could say, look, this is me. I'm not, I'm not going to hide it from you. I'm going to tell you straight up the bad, the messy, the ugly, the awkward, the just plain sinful parts of me. I'm going to lay it all out there. Here's what it is, but let me also tell you about Jesus. Let me also tell you about the grace of God that came to me in and through Jesus. Because here's the thing. Because of that grace, I don't have to be ashamed. I can admit it all. I can admit it all and tell you where I needed forgiveness and what I just shared with you, God gave me forgiveness. Where I needed healing and what I just shared with you, God gave me healing. Where I needed redemption, God gave me redemption. Where I needed forgiveness, God gave me forgiveness. See, this is winning by not actually winning it all. <laughs> this is winning by admitting it all and yet still having joy in your face and hope in your heart because in the end, you laid it all out and you realized Jesus wasn't ashamed of you. He accepted you and showered his grace over you. Favor you didn't deserve, but he generously gave such that he took you where you're at and brought you to a different place where you can admit it and look at it straight in the face and say, but the grace of God. Without that, yes, here's where I would be. And I'd do all these different things and look for all these different ways. Medicate myself, right, maybe, or, or live a certain kind of life to, to overlook it or to just lie about it. Here's all the things that I have to do to deal with this. In this place, I can finally lay it all out and be honest, be the most authentic person I can be to myself and to my community and know that it doesn't crush me because God's grace holds me up and strengthens me so that I have meaning, I have purpose, so that I can win. I can actually say that I win. I love this quote. Uh, this pastor says this, the world values pedigree, the world values money, the world values race, the world values class. Jesus turns it all that upside down. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You are somebody by God's grace who Jesus can be proud of. Like Hebrews 2 says, he is not ashamed to call us family. He's not ashamed to call you family because his grace is sufficient for you. Jesus is the Messiah that brings us meaning and purpose even in, even in, even really through the bad, the messy, the awkward, the plain sinful about your life. He's that kind of Messiah. The second thing I want to mention, Jesus is the Messiah for whoever feels ordinary, unknown, overlooked, or dismissed. See, you can win, and you can win without feeling that you've got to be well-known or you've got to have lots of friends, you've got to have a lot of resources, you've got to have a lot of followers, you've got to have a lot of career opportunities, you've got to be free of all your problems, whether they're physical or mental or emotional. It's still possible to have meaning and purpose to win to feel great, to be great. And how is that possible? I think we see it just from this first chapter in the family tree of Jesus. 
You see, in his family tree that he's intentionally welcoming all kinds of people, the ordinary, the unknown, the overlooked, the dismissed. What we see in this tree is him highlighting people that others would include. And just goes out of his way to say, no, I, I include them. What are some examples of this? Notice the fact that there are women in this family tree. That's not something you would normally do. Mention father, son, father, son, father, son. Here's a family tree that intentionally includes women and includes women that, again, as we just mentioned, that others wouldn't mention, that others would overlook, wouldn't admit to. Here they're proudly front and center. In fact, they stick out in the massive names. The fact that they're Gentiles in the family tree. So, for example, verse 5, Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. So these are Gentiles that are mentioned with these women. Uh, Gentiles are non-Jews. Jews did not like non-Jews back then, <laughs> right? If anything, you want to show a family tree that's pure. You're pure blood, purely Jewish. This is a family tree that is happy to mention, oh, no, there, there's others in here. <laughs> there is Rahab, who's a Canaanite prostitute. It's Tamar, who's also a Canaanite. Canaanite, they're not supposed to marry with Canaanites. But here she is, part of the family tree of Jesus. Ruth, who's a Moabite. Here's people who would normally be overlooked, not admitted to. They're part of the family tree of Jesus. There's also ordinary people, unknown people in this genealogy. So if you look at verses 13 to 15, and I won't read all those names. Um, Zerubbabel is known. Uh, he's in um, the, again, he's in Ezra. No, he's not Ezra. I should know this. <laughs> he's Ezra, uh, Zerubbabel, the father of uh, Obed, Obed, the father of Elikim, and it goes on from there. I suggest none of us really know anything about those names. <laughs> it's a whole list of names that are there, people we don't know. They're ordinary people, right? Unknown people. And, and, and it makes, makes you consider something that for most of us here, maybe really for all of us, we won't be remembered past our family and maybe some of the people in the community here. Or in fact, maybe right now you're not remembered by your family or by others around you. You're experiencing it even right in this moment. You're in a space of feeling ordinary, overlooked, unknown, and yet, because of God, we can say that every life matters. Every single person matters. Here are these names that are unknown to us. We know nothing about them, and yet they matter because countless people have read their names. They're in the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus God could have crafted his genealogy so it's all people that we know. You think about this. He's a God of the universe. He could have made it famous person after famous person, rich person after rich person, beautiful person after beautiful person. And yet a good chunk of the genealogy is people we don't know. And yet they matter. They're significant because God used them to lead to the Messiah, to Jesus. And I think it says something about the kind of Messiah we have here. He's a Messiah for every single human life, for all kinds of people, and maybe especially for the overlooked, dismissed, especially for the most ordinary person here, living the most ordinary life. You still matter. You still have purpose. You could say you still win. And how is that possible? How is it possible to, to, to have a sense of feeling ordinary, ignored, overlooked, and to feel this struggle to overcome those things? How is that possible? Well, Jesus says it's a struggle you can give up because you have a Messiah who says you are known by God. And that means you automatically win. To be known by God and remember that God makes you more famous than the most famous person on this planet. More significant than the most significant person on the planet. In fact, it puts us at the same level. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, the thing that matters the most, if there is a forever after death, 
The thing that matters the most is, does God know you? Now you remember. Everything else does not matter. It all falls under this title, known by God, remembered by God. Jesus says, I'm intentionally able to remember and know the people who other people wouldn't remember and know. And they can matter for centuries now, thousands and thousands of years. How much more does that matter now when we say Jesus has come to bring us into God's family and keep us in his family forever? He's a Messiah for those who feel ordinary, unknown, overlooked, or dismissed. So we want our lives to matter. We want to win. And we will look to all sorts of things, all sorts of messiahs to help us feel meaning and purpose to help us win. Here's my ask this morning. Let Jesus be your Messiah. Let Jesus be your win. Let Jesus be your win. No matter who you are, what you have going on, what you've done or not done, what you've accomplished or not accomplished, Jesus is the only Messiah who can take it all and lead you on a path of salvation and redemption. He's the only one who can make it. So not just a few of us win. Not the, those of us who are put together, who are most spiritual, who are most beautiful, who are most intelligent, who are most strong, who, who have it all together. No, Jesus is on, on, on the path to make it so that whatever you have, we have the most, you have the least, we all come to the same place. We need Jesus to matter, and he makes us matter. He makes us matter in all the things, maybe especially in those parts of us that are messy and awkward, especially in those among us who feel ordinary and overlooked. He makes us matter. He makes us win because he's the only Messiah who can take it all. He can take all of you and connect all of us to him. He's the only one who can handle it. All of our stories. And there's so many stories here in this room. So many stories throughout human history. Jesus is the only one who can take those stories and connect him to himself in a way that, that gives us all that we need. In a way that lasts and matters right now as you sit in your seat. He's the only one who can lead us to the same place. The same grounds of salvation and blessing and victory. He's the only one who was able to handle my story. When I was eight, I turned in faith to Jesus. And that story has had a lot of good things. Some other things. Some things I've admitted. Some things I haven't even admitted yet here. <laughs> There's good, there's bad, there's all those things, and yet Jesus has kept with me through it all the way. So that every single point of my life I can say I had meaning and purpose. Every single point I can say I had meaning and purpose, even if I was unwilling to say it. <laughs> Some of you, you just need Jesus to say it to you. You don't believe it yet, but to have Jesus to have someone who still will whisper it into your ear until you believe it for yourself. You have meaning, you have purpose, you matter, you win. Because that's the family history of Jesus. That's Jesus, and he does that for all who come to him. He can handle you and your story. Have you come to him yet with your whole story? If you strayed for him, have you come back to him? Come back to him with all of it. You don't have to leave part of it behind. You don't got to sanitize it. Bring it all, and he's going to bring his grace if you're willing to receive it. He's going to bring his confession if you're willing to confess it. He's going to bring your healing if you ask for it. He's going to bring redemption for you. And the other side is all that we need, isn't it? It's God, it's Jesus, it's that we matter and that we win. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, uh, and thank you, Lord, that um, you have come in a way, Lord, that uh, was unexpected, uh, in a way that uh, we would not have planned if we planned it ourselves. Uh, and, Lord, ultimately we see it's a way that's far better than we could ever hope for. Um, we're in a world that reminds us all the time, here's the hierarchies, Here's the status checks. Here's the things to look for. 
here's the numbers to have under your profile, here's the money you need to have in your bank, here's the amount of your clothes and shoes you've got to have, here's the number of, here's, here's the looks you need to have, all these different things that say you matter and that you win. Lord, how remarkable it is to say, like, it doesn't matter, any of those things. <laughs> any of those things don't matter. We don't have to hold ourselves to those things. That there is someone who says, I accept it all if you're just willing to admit it. And I attach my grace, and I bring my blessing, I bring my attention to you. And then we have purpose, and we have meaning, we have Jesus. Lord, I just pray that we would see that Jesus is far more than enough for what we need to matter and to win. And I pray for those, Lord, who need to finally be honest with themselves, to stop the lying, stop the deception, stop the struggle, and confess it to you, maybe to others, well, yes, to others around. But, Lord, the only way they're going to do that and not be crushed by it, Lord, is if you remove the fear and the shame, if you instead replace it with humility and confession of sin. And, Lord, there you'll meet them in the grace of God. And so, Lord, I pray. Um, for those of us here who need to do that. I pray for those who, who've forgotten this. <laughs> we forget, Lord. We need to come back. So bring them back to you, I pray. Uh, restore them to you. And Lord, may in that space we find you and find others who found you. Uh, and Lord, and have the joy that we need. Have the hope that we need. Have all that we need because we have you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.